Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Recorded Friday, July the 15th, 2016, this is the Western Devs Podcast. In today's episode, the devs discuss the pros and cons of working from home. Boy, look here, we got something for you. So just to start with, how many people on this podcast are working from home right now? I am. I am. I am. Okay, so that that's pretty much everyone. So you all deserve to be fired for recording a podcast while you're at work. Well, technically, this is my vacation week, so I'm not working today. Mm-hmm. One might argue that because you do mobile development, you never work. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> But that's a topic for another podcast. Uh-huh. Okay, so how come everybody works from home? Is it is it that you're working remotely for a company that's far away, that it's a pain to get there? Or is it just that your, your company feels that this is an advantage to have people working from home? Well, being a mobile development consultant, I have a lot of clients. And right now, the client I'm working with is based in Winnipeg, which is where you guys are at. So I don't want to fly out there to do the work. And they don't have anyone out there that can do the Xamarin development um, that I do. So they've contracted me to do the work remotely. And I essentially uh, am also training their developers um, in Xamarin development as well. So that's kind of, that's the reason that I'm doing the remote work right now. Uh, But I'm finding more and more clients are more open to having their contractors come in and do uh, remote work rather than just taking up space in their office. Yeah, all my clients I'm dealing with right now are, are small clients. So I, it's, it's a team of me. So there's no point to being in their office at all. So remote makes sense for that. Uh, my current gig, we're a 100% distributed company. Uh, there is no office for us to go to. So we're all over the world and everyone works from home. Same here. Uh, I just finished recording a course for Plural, Pluralsight. I think like 99% of that is done remotely. And then the last consulting gig I did, um, the entire team was distributed. Okay, so this doesn't seem like it's it's super unusual for people in our field of work to work remotely. Um, I I also work remotely. Um, we the office the company that I work for does have offices um, by some definition. Apparently, having a single person in a rental office is accounts for having a presence in a city now. Uh, but what do you guys do when you're working remotely in terms of how long you work, what hours do you work? Uh, for me, I tend to get started pretty early and then I'll take a break to take the kids to daycare and then I'll continue to work until basically I've worked my eight hours for the day. Is that what you guys do, or how do you do it differently? Well, currently for me, I'm I'm just doing some small client stuff. So it's it's summertime here, so I'm working, you know, kind of four hours a day, and then trying to enjoy the uh, the outdoors. That doesn't sound very developery of you. You're gonna like get a tan and stuff now. It is frightening. He's yeah. probably playing Pokemon Go. Ah, okay. Well, that makes more sense. When I'm recording courses, I just kind of work whenever I want because there's no real client um, other than me, I guess, technically. Um, For consulting work, generally, 
I do like two hour chunks. So two hours early in the morning, take a small break, two hours up to lunch or you know in that area, and then same thing, break up the the afternoon. I guess it always depends on meetings and that kind of thing, but that's generally what I try to do. I think because of the way that uh, the organization I'm working with is laid out, we don't really have the need to match up to a uh, standard workday. There is no office. We're all around the world. So essentially people are working 24-7 or somebody is working 24-7. So if I wanted to start earlier in the day, that wouldn't be any problem than starting later in the day. Um, breaking it up like Rob said he does isn't doesn't seem to be an issue either with the constraint of making meetings that you need to make how do My meetings person, work for your how do meetings work for your company you're completely distributed all around the world so is it a challenge to kind of find times at which meetings work for people yes uh, there's a couple things we do we have three regions uh, Europe North America and uh, Australia right now because of how distributed those three regions are, there's no one time that works where all three regions can get together in a meeting and not have somebody uh, being in the call at 2 a.m. or something like that. Uh, So what we tend to do for large meetings uh, where the whole company needs to be involved, there there will be two of them usually. So there'll be one that matches Europe and North America and another one that matches Europe and Australia. Uh, Another thing we do is all significant meetings are recorded. Uh, So if they don't happen twice, you can go and watch the recording and then uh, participate via Slack after the fact in the conversations. That's an interesting approach. So you you end up doing a lot more collaboration over asynchronous methods of communicating than having calls and meetings then? Yeah, asynchronous is by default the way we communicate. And it's an interesting difference uh, versus how most of us have communicated in the past in our careers or at other jobs. Uh, I can throw a question out and 24 hours later I might get a response to it be- just because of how people cycle through their workday. Uh, if I throw a question out today being Friday at uh, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, it's probably not going to get answered until I see it on Monday morning after Australia and Europe have cycled through the start of their day. Um, so it's uh, a very different way of communicating and p- presents some challenges uh, that way. And it's definitely a learning curve. So do you find that because of this built-in delay, projects and things tend to take longer? That you have to have a couple of things on the go because you might be blocked on project A while you're waiting for somebody to get in in Australia. And so you have to move on to something else while you're waiting? Yeah, I usually have a couple... Um, a minimum of two things on the go at a time just because of those uh, problems. The other thing that we have is you can, all the work that's being done is open and available uh, for everyone to see. So if I am working primarily on task A and there's a blocker on task A, I can jump in and see what's going on on something else and offer to contribute in the short term to that as well. And do you find that you're drawn into working outside of your regular working hours because you're you're trying to sync up with other people and because you're working from home, everything that you need to work is right there and available? My instinct when I started was to do that. Uh, I've got more comfortable with the async communication now, so it's really rare that I make an exception outside of what I would define as my working hours for a day. 
Um, sometimes it needs to happen where, you know, the last day before I went on holidays, I did uh, some really odd hours just to make sure that we had the transitions and handovers done. But it's an exception that I do that kind of thing, I find. Do people out there use any sort of tricks to delineate kind of working at work and uh, being at home regularly? I know that James Chambers, who couldn't join us today, has a whole raft of interesting techniques that he uses all the way from uh, going out and walking around the block in order to walk to work to having separate kind of computers set up for for work and for not work so that he's not tempted to do work outside of working hours. Does anybody else have any ideas around that? Well, I don't walk around the block, but I do get in my car and drive to Tim Hortons. So the minute that I have the first coffee in my hand, that's the start of my work day. And when I get into the house and I and I log on, I'm 100% focused on that. And even though I'm home, I... I have a dog and a dog tends to try and take some of the attention away and, and serve as a distraction. But I hire a dog walker. And even if I'm working from home, that dog walker still comes to take her out as part of her regular schedule. And so then I don't feel as guilty having to keep her in, a, in her crate area for a few hours so I can focus. Um, and then I'll let her out She'll go out with a dog walker. She'll go back in the crate for another couple of hours. But I take breaks in between as well so that um, I can, you know, still get her out and give her that attention. And I don't feel guilty that she's locked up all day. Uh, but I do have to make sure that when I'm working, it's completely in, um, uninterrupted. So I'm completely focused on that. Yeah, I'll do similar things. So there's a little coffee shop down the street. So I get up in the morning, get ready, go to the coffee shop, have my coffee come back and that's the start of my work day. The other thing that I found works really well was just having a stopwatch on my phone of working hours. So if I do take a break and go, you know, do something around the house or something, I stop that watch and say, okay, you know what, I've only put in four hours, so I got to work a few extra hours here or there um, to get in my full seven, eight hours, whatever your day is. I'm actually terrible at that. Um, I kind of work when the inspiration hits, so there's been, there's been times when I've even gotten out of, out of bed because I thought of something that will solve a problem that I've been working on uh, and come downstairs and, and start working on it. So it sounds like people are really diligent about making sure that they're putting in at least those eight hours. Do you worry that you're too diligent about it? That office workers, people who are actually physically in the office tend to have a lot of distractions too and they'll be you know, going to the, the break room to have a coffee and that ends up talking to somebody about how little Johnny's learning to ride a bike and how he accidentally fell off and hurt himself and so forth. So how do you deal with water cooler time? Do you feel that you compensate with that? Uh, compensate for that with some other time that you kind of waste during the day? Well, as a billable consultant, every hour of that I bill is, is working time. So I like that when I'm working from home, I don't have those distractions. Um, and even when I'm in the office, I minimize that. Uh, I'm, I have a very clear boundary of, you know, I'll talk to people on a, when I'm on a walking break or when I'm on at lunch, but when I'm at my desk and I'm working, if you're coming to me to have a discussion, it has to be work related because I'm not a full-time employee. I'm not there, you know, um, 
establishing those long-term relationships, I'm there to help you get the work done and every minute of my time is valuable. And I know that sounds kind of cold and harsh, but that's just the reality of being a consultant. So I really respect the company that I'm working for and the fact that my time is is billable. So I don't waste time during the day. I, I have set breaks where I allow for that and those breaks are I don't bill for. So that's how I handle it. I also think that uh, being able to work from home is somewhat a privilege still. And as a result of that, you have to put a little bit more effort into uh, respecting that privilege. So uh, the fact that I'm much more focused for those hours of the day is fine by me if it means that I can have lunch at home with my kid on, while he's on summer break or things like that. I don't think I'm as diligent on an individual day or part day part basis, but in the aggregate, definitely. Like there's defi- there's, There are days where I don't work eight hours. Um, but there's days where I work a lot more than eight hours. So when you look at it big picture over the course of a week, yeah, I put in definitely put in my the required time or more. Um, but if I if I'm not productive, I I try not to work. I, I find that overall my code quality uh, or the quality of my work is better um, if I work while I have that inspiration or while you know while things are sort of going the way that I want them to. Yeah, I just wanted to further what Don was saying, too, that I do use it almost as a sales pitch or advantage to clients, especially ones that do have teams saying, well, you know, I'm I am more efficient working from home. I found with uh, fewer distractions of people just stopping by my desk or whatever to say hi when I'm on premise. Um, So there is a trade off there. I think the efficiency argument carries a little farther as well uh, with how well the organization you're working with or for is able to handle remote workers. I've worked at places that uh, have been remote friendly and you're smacking on code and you try to connect some system inside their VPN and it doesn't work. And the response back is, oh yeah, we can't make that work across the VPN. That type of friction does present itself when you're working with what I consider remote friendly organizations. Uh, When you work for somewhere that's remote first where people being off-site is the priority, The fric- those types of frictions go away. And the, you see efficiency gains in that area. I guess one other thing, I don't know if we already covered it, was, is, and this drives me insane, is the meeting that doesn't start until 20 minutes after the meeting was supposed to start. So not only are you in a meeting, which I, I'm not a huge fan of it to begin with, but you're in a meeting doing absolutely nothing productive. So... Uh, it's the, avoiding those kinds of things is a, is a huge benefit, I think. Well, well, for me, there's there's days where working from home, I have more distraction because if my significant other uh, decides he's going to have a vacation day and he's going to be home, or my daughter's, you know, uh, at home on any particular day because she's not in school or she's not at work, then I have that issue there where I have a family who's around me who thinks that just because I'm visible. I'm easily accessible to them and they can just kind of talk to me at any point in the day. And those are the days I actually wish I had a separate external office to go to. Um, Lucky for me in Kitchener-Waterloo, we have co-working spaces I can go to if I want to rent them for the day or the hour. Um, I haven't had to make use of them yet, um, but I feel that with my daughter being home full time now, I think that's probably going to happen more and more. Yeah, I found just keeping my office door closed was... uh was a big thing with, with significant others and family around, like just the doors closed, don't bother me. 
And uh, when I come out, you can talk to me. It's basically the, the rule setup. Yeah, I've certainly found that to be a challenge. Um, at least initially, when I started working from home, it was a bit of a challenge for my, my wife to understand that like, I am at work now. You, you can't come in and bother me with minutia. Uh, and my kids are young enough that they have no concept of boundaries or working time. So doors don't usually stop them. So that can be a bit of a challenge too. I live alone, so it's not an issue for me. Uh, but I have several colleagues who have uh, you know, families, especially with young kids. Um, and I think one general consensus is that you want your working space to be as far away from living areas as possible so that people aren't you know, seeing you or at least, um, you know, sort of close to you during the regular traffic patterns around the house. Um, I also have a couple friends who use on-air lights. So um, the door being closed means you can knock and see if the person's available. But if the on-air light is on, that that's like do not disturb. The on-air light type idea is a good one. And I've set up a similar uh, rule with my boy. And it's if I'm sitting at my desk with my headset on, then it's do not disturb because I'm likely in a meeting or something like that. I think that's a really good idea. Uh, I'm going to try maybe electrifying doorknobs uh, to teach my kids some lessons about that. I mean, not like a killing amount of electricity, of course, but Just enough. 10 or 12 volts, right? Yeah, just enough that you think twice about it the next time. Okay, so... Do you find that you, because you're working kind of at home and in isolation that you end up dealing with cabin fever? Like, are you getting lonely working at home? I don't because I have a lot of external activities that I participate in, more like community activities. So with my user group, that gets me out talking to people. And there's a ton of um, active tech groups in the area that are like, there's a lot of social events that happen. So I always make a point to go to those. Um, so I'm constantly making excuses to attend events where I can interact with other people and meet new people, uh, because I really enjoy that. So I, I, uh, I find that that helps a lot uh, and I don't get that cabin fever of being at home and not interacting with the outside world. The biggest thing I found when I worked from home uh, several years ago for, for a few years straight was that I never had people to my house uh, because I was always there. So I was always going out to other people's houses. I was never having people to my place. I really struggle with this. Uh, and it's kind of the opposite of what Dave is saying. I go sometimes days without leaving the yard. And at times I've gone days without even stepping outside the house. And it's something that is not healthy in the long run. And I need to figure out how to um, break those patterns and come up with something like uh, Simon was mentioning that is being done by James Chambers, where you go out for a walk in the morning or go for a coffee or whatever, just to break the pattern and the, the ability to stay shut in. Or you can get a dog like Darcy and I did. I mean, Darcy has a dog that gets him out. I have a dog that gets me out. Or you can install Pokemon Go and then play that. That'll I get you out of I could just find a good bartender too. True enough, I suppose. But then you're mitigating the healthy activity of walking with just drinking, which is unhealthy. So you then get you're the back social aspect. 
Yeah, I was, I was more thinking the social than the healthy thing. <laughs> I think there's a business opportunity here that we could create, like, the Ashley Madison for people who work from home. I don't understand where you're getting at with that, Simon. Can you I explain he's, that? He's trying to wreck the home life of people that work at home. I'm saying that if you're single and you work from home, how are you going to meet people? We need an Ashley Madison for that. Ashley Madison was intended for married people and in not a good way. So, no, that's... No, no, no. I've seen, I've seen their new commercials. One of those people was clearly not married. <laughs> are you talking about cheating on your existing contract? Is that what you're doing? Well, maybe we need that too. Well, just, just go up onto your uh, to meetup.com and search for groups in your area that are social groups that you can join and be part of. That's way better. Okay, so we're, we're seeing this increase in people working from home. Um, and this is always a question that, that comes up in my mind when I think about the long-term viability of working from home is that I'm expensive. And I, one of the reasons that I'm expensive is because I live in an expensive place compared to the rest of the world. Um, and my skill set is not so drastically unique that you couldn't find somebody from a, a much cheaper locale that could do my job uh, similarly to me. So what what's going to be the long-term viability of this? Like, is there going to be a time where the rates that we can charge drop off drastically because I can be replaced with somebody from Zambia or the Philippines or something like that who is similarly working from home? I think it really drives the skill sets that you bring to the table as being more important than uh, a traditional employer looking for somebody who can come in and put their arse in a chair. Um, that's a driver in that case. Um, now we're looking more skill set based. Do you have the tools that I need for you? And if you do, I'll pay you appropriately for them. Um, you know, different organizations are going to handle the pay thing different ways. They may pay you based on your local rate or they may pay you based on their local rate or they could pay you just some general internet rate or something like that but i do believe it's going to surface skill set as being the differentiator and i think you're more required to be a specialist if you're a freelance consultant or contractor um, being a specialist in an area is more valuable and something that's unlikely to be replaced by outsourcing it uh, to cheaper work um, elsewhere or to cheaper labor elsewhere. Um, so I think that's really where you want to focus your time and building up that skill set. And also just, I mean, as a consultant, I'm not just going in as a developer. Um, I'm coming in, I'm assessing your work environment, I'm assessing um, what's in place and if it can support the type of development we have to do. I'm making recommendations on how to improve the the internal systems in order to accommodate um, the development that I'm going to be doing or that the team that I'm working with is going to be doing. So uh, there's a lot of like um, discussing strategy and, uh, you know, uh, improving their, their internal systems and processes and then mentoring their teams and training their developers as well as driving the development. So we're not just slogging code all day. I think as independent consultants, we have skills that uh, far surpass that that just can't be outsourced to cheaper labor elsewhere. Yeah, I, th I think skill set is obviously hugely important, but I think having a good network is also extremely important. Um, people who know you, not only your skill set, but you as a person and how you would integrate with the team. 
uh, are much more likely to to bring you on in a project than somebody who where they only know their skill set. Yeah, the other thing too is I think this goes both ways. Is that you know now that there's more and more people working remotely, uh, there's a big labor market out there. But as more and more companies want to hire remote workers, there's a bigger pool for us to um, get employment through. So hopefully we can find rates that that work for us. The other thing we didn't mention around this too is being a remote worker, you don't have to live in high cost of living place either. If the rates happen to go down, Um, you could choose to go live in lower cost of living centers or rural areas. The only driver being that you have to have a decent internet connection wherever you are and that's it. Well, and and power supply can also be a concern in, in some areas. Sure. So have you seen an uptick in people that are looking for remote-only workers? I mean, I usually see remote work billed as uh, kind of like a perk as opposed to, hey, we're specifically looking for people who are willing to work remotely. So far, I've seen that, you know, in my area, more companies are comfortable with a mix of the two. You know, you come in for one or two days a week and then work from home uh, three days a week. Um, just so that they have that visibility of who you are, that face-to-face, um, rather than 100% working from home. And I'm fine with that. Um, I'm pretty flexible either way, as long as it's a company I can get to within a decent commute. Um, but then there are other companies that are so far away, it's geographically impossible. But if they absolutely need my skill set, then they're very open to the work-from-home um, situation. And I make sure when I am working from home 100%, I'm communicating daily. So we're on Skype on a daily call. We are, you know, discussing throughout the day via Slack or email um, the status of the project and if anyone has any roadblocks. Um, I'm I'm 100% available during my working time to answer those questions. So that that provides that level of comfort and that they know that I'm there, I'm focused, and I'm working. Um, but I mean, I have been going into client sites as well. It's not like I have a hundred percent work from home contracts there for the last few years. It's been a mix of the two and more, more popular than not is yeah, come into our office two days a week and then work from home three days a week. Are the people who work remote here that have you typically ended up doing like yearly meetings or monthly meetings where you actually have to fly to the the company's office and, and visit with them? Uh, to give people a sense of comfort with you? I think that depends on the length of the engagement. Um, for shorter engagements, that I don't think that's absolutely necessary. But, you know, if you're if you're working with the same company for three months, six months or longer, then it does absolutely make sense um, to, to go and actually meet the team, you know, face to face and get to know the people again. Um, I think there's there's more of a there's the value of meeting people socially. Um, you know, it's. I don't know if you could put a, a, a number on it, but I think there definitely is valuable. We do uh, meetings like this at my current employer. Uh, one of the first ones, well, the first month I was with the employer, we had a meeting and everybody got together in Thailand and we did one week of working together, uh, going to different focus meetings and stuff. and. I think it is pretty important to do that. The interesting thing that came out of it for me was how much higher the uh, energy level was on a day-to-day basis immediately f- following that uh, that meeting. That's interesting. So because your, your company is completely distributed, you ended up 
having a meeting kind of in Thailand, where I assume very few people in your company actually live. Does anybody live there? Nobody lives there right now, though. Okay. So that that is an interesting idea that maybe because you're working remotely, you don't necessarily have to work out of your house. You could go and do extended stays somewhere else and work from there. So long as where it is that you end up has a decent internet connection and, as Dave says, uh, stable power. Does anybody try that out, like working from Europe, let's say? I've not tried working from Europe, but if we decide to go to the in-laws place for the weekend uh, and we can swing it so that we go on Thursday night instead of Friday night, I can work Friday from their basement using their internet connection. So I've done that type of thing or work a few days when we go visit my parents. Yeah, that seems to be a real advantage. I haven't tried it much, but certainly like I used to, to travel up to Edmonton a fair bit and I would work from there a day or two and it, it didn't really have any great bearing on my productivity or my meetings or anything like that just because I was working from a different city. The only difference I've noticed is that people comment on what's in the background when you're doing video calls. Yeah, I certainly had that for a while. My basement was being developed, so I was moving around the house trying to find a, a room that was sufficiently quiet to work in. And every day I would be in a different room, so I got a reputation as living in a mansion where realistically I was just turning the computer around a few degrees. Uh, so how do you guys handle doing vacations when you're working from home is there that temptation like if you're just doing a staycation that you end up working anyway how are you managing that delineation interestingly i took last week off as a vacation so it's pretty fresh in my mind i had lots of other things i wanted and needed to do so i didn't i didn't even turn on my work machine i have a separate machine that i use when i'm working um, part of that was because the laptop screen had broken, it was in for repair, but, uh, I didn't bother even logging on. Uh, I did see Slack notifications coming across my phone, but I didn't respond to them unless they were crazy urgent. Yeah. For me, um, when I take vacation, that's sacred. I absolutely will not work during vacation time. And like this week, um, the last two weeks I've been on vacation and I chose to uh, use my vacation time to travel for, to attend conferences and have a couple days downtime at home. So I will not deal with work during that time. Uh, I am available if there is an email that's an emergency for a project I'm working on. And if it's absolutely something that's urgent, I will respond to it. But I tend not to check the uh, email during the day. I'll check it in the evening, once over, if there's nothing on fire, then I'm good. Um, but for the most part, like I treat my vacation time as that's, that's my time to recharge. And I don't, I don't allow work to impede on that. And if I'm on a Slack group that's work related, that automatically goes into do not disturb mode when I'm on vacation. And I don't, so I don't receive notifications when people are trying to message me. I'm kind of the opposite, really depending on the vacation. Uh, but generally I'll check email and occasionally participate in meetings only because I find that um, the time I invest doing that while I'm on vacation pays off when I get back because I'm not, you know, completely out of touch and, and behind on what's been going on while I've been away. 
Um, now, if I'm traveling somewhere like, you know, uh, with friends or family, then that's a little bit different. But if I'm just at home or at the cottage or whatever, then then that's what I'll do. Yeah, I'm the same. Like, I find that vacation time is sacred. So I'll I won't uh, check anything, answer anything. Typically, like I'll, I'll monitor my email because I do have some small clients that sometimes have emergencies come up. I'll take my laptop with me. But unless it's something's on fire, that's uh, I'm on vacation time. Earlier, Laurie talked a little bit about how there were a bunch of co-working spaces uh, around her in Kitchener-Waterloo. Uh, there's certainly a bunch of co-working spaces here around me, too. I've never really made much use of them. I haven't found the need to. But it is uh, certainly the, the times that I have visited them, they seem like really interesting places that you end up with a bunch of people that you wouldn't normally interact with. Uh all together and even if you're working on your own thing you do tend to have some leakage of, of what other people are working on has anybody tried working in one of these co-working spaces do you see any advantage to those i haven't personally i know a few people that have done some startups at some of the the spaces we have here in edmonton um, where they go and they work there and uh, one of the big advantages they found is just kind of networking and that regaining that social aspect um, so sometimes they've met people that are doing similar projects or they can uh meet some other contacts in the industry. Yeah, the times that I've been there, uh, I, I was kind of tacitly involved in a startup that had some space at a, a co-working facility in Calgary. And it was interesting to go because uh, while our startup was related to technology, there were people there who were doing like completely random things, like people who were, who were doing art projects or people who were... Uh, writing research papers on bird migrations and those sorts of things. So it was very interesting to get contact with people completely outside of like the industry that I'm in and to, to learn a little bit about what they were doing. I've considered using a co-working space um, just to fight the problem I have of not getting out of the house at times. The drawback that I always come to with it is uh, working from home is awesome when it comes to commuting and i really don't want to fight with commuting to where the co-working spaces are around here well you just finished up your basement you could have built a co-working space down there and had people come to you i should have ah there we go that's one of the things i want to try with a, a colleague of mine just started working from home and he's concerned about staying dedicated and on task so we've talked about um him coming over to my place one day a week, just we'll just both sit there with our laptops, work on our own projects, but at least you get a bit of social aspect. And then one day a week, go to his place kind of thing, just so you do get out of the house and you have someone that kind of keeps you focused on what you're doing. Yeah, I did something like that uh, a while ago when I first got into consulting. The one team I was on, uh, the other consultant lived in the same city as me, so and really like 10 minutes away. So I made a habit of... We, I would work out of his his office at his house uh, one or two days a week and rather than all of us working remote. And what happened was we were able to have that luxury of being able to collaborate and work on the project in real time and then forcing each other to take breaks. So we would go for a walk and just, you know, um, decompress uh, during the day. And then we had like a hard stop, obviously, because I had to leave because you know, he had to continue on with his family life and have dinner and all that stuff. So it, it, it defined a starting day, a point for the day and an end point for the day. And it, and it made us more um, productive. So I found that was really enjoyable too. 
it's helpful to have somebody else around to, to keep you on task. I do my best not to be distracted during the day. Do you guys have any techniques that you use to remain focused to not you know, go off and clean the fridge or something when you should be working? Well, considering that uh, cleaning the fridge is not exactly on my list of priorities or things I want to do, I actually enjoy oh, you work. you live a boring life then, Laurie. <laughs> Cleaning fridges is an absolute delight. <laughs> I actually like, I actually enjoy work and it takes a bit to get me away from it when I'm in the zone. Um, so I find it's more of a struggle to turn off at the end of the day and say, okay, I'm done. It's five o'clock. I mean, there's times I've looked at the clock and it's been seven o'clock and I'm like, uh oh, you know, I, I missed dinner with the family and that that was kind of bad. Um, so I try not to do that. And I try to be more diligent of the time and when to shut off. The big thing I found when I, I worked from home, I, I noticed myself starting to slack more and more was uh, just having that stopwatch on my desk. So every time I left, I had to stop it. And that was a big psychological thing that said, you know what, you're not billing for this. You're not doing work. You're going to do something else. And then when you come back, you'd have to start it. So it really kept me on point, I found. One of the techniques that I use is just that uh, I often work from a treadmill. So I kind of have like goals that I want to hit and I'm not going to hit those step goals or the distance goals or anything like that if I'm not on the treadmill and working at the same time. Somebody mentioned that I should try powering the, the laptop from the treadmill, but uh, I did the math around that. That's not going to work, unfortunately. How about uh, Pomodoro techniques? Does anybody use that sort of thing to kind of like stay focused for half an hour and then have a, a mandated break after that? I tried it once and I don't understand it. I don't understand how people can work like that. It drove me nuts and it was so annoying. So like after one day, I was like, I'm never doing this again. Um, it was good for reminding me that, you know, hey, it's time for a five minute break. But I didn't like that because sometimes when you're in the middle of solving a problem, that 20, 25 minutes, you know, may not be enough time. And then it jolts you out of that. And then it takes you out of that space of solving a problem. And it just, I find it, sometimes it slowed me down in, in, for my work. It didn't make me more productive. I would, you know, you don't magically solve every problem in 20 minutes. Sometimes it takes longer. So I did it one time and I was like, never again. It just didn't work for me. So as I mentioned before, I kind of do that. Um, not 20 minutes, um, but Usually, a, a, you know, two-hour chunks is kind of the, what I do, where there's just natural sort of points in the, during the, the, the mid-morning and mid-afternoon that I take some time off to, you know, do whatever, go do errands or clean my fridge. Actually, I don't have anything in my fridge, so cleaning it is really easy. You're just going to move the jar of mustard from one shelf to another? Yes, yes. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a question I really have because I haven't been able to perfect this is how do you deal with, you know, lunch and breakfast and dinner? Because especially Don, in your case, if you don't leave the house, you know, do you even have any food in your fridge to make? And then like, what do you do like for lunch? Uh, yeah, I usually do. We, um, we shop specifically for my lunches or well, not specifically for them, but with my lunches specifically in mind, um, and make my own lunches, uh, probably, at least four days a week. Um, when it's summertime, it's really easy because I make lunches for me and the boy, and he gets really, really 
angry if I don't make him lunch. Um, so, so that's pretty easy. When it's not summertime, I tend to skip it at times. Um, I don't go out for lunch, which is one of the things that I'm trying to force myself to do to get out of the house a bit more. So today's plan, I'm actually going to go hit the taco truck and get some street food today. That's awesome. See, I find I get into a habit of eating unhealthy more so when I'm home because all the stuff that's in the cupboards, it's like right there. And so then I'll just have it at my desk and snack or I'll look in the fridge and, be, and think, well, I don't want salad. I want something else instead. And then I'll actually go out and get food, but it'll be junk. And I got into a bad habit of doing that and I'm trying to figure out a, a better way. I struggle with the poor eating habit thing too. Um, lunch is pretty good, uh, but in between meals, it's, I had to kind of say that we needed to stop having crap food in the house because I would just eat it endlessly between meals. When I, when I have my son here over the, the summer, um, I found that working from home, we'd go out for lunch almost every day because it was nice for us to both uh, get out of the house. And I know he gets a little antsy with the door closed here. And um, so it's nice to get out with him and uh, just get out in the world and, and maybe run some errands, grab some lunch and then go back to work. Yeah, having access to an oven is a really nice treat to be able to just like roast some vegetables or something. I don't think that takes time, but just being able to have that there, I find really nice. So while you're roasting vegetables, I'm throwing a cookie sheet in the oven filled with Pillsbury chocolate chip cookie dough, and that's what I'm baking. I was thinking it was nicer to have oven done taquitos instead of microwave done ones. Those cookie dough things, they never make it to the oven for me. I just eat them before they make it there, so that, that doesn't really help me. Isn't that bad for you? I've always thought that eating raw cookie dough must be just horrible for you. Yeah, probably, <laughs> but I'm still alive, so I'll, I'll put it on my tombstone. Should not have eaten raw cookie dough. Okay, great. Well, thanks everybody for joining us today on the podcast. I think we've come up with some interesting techniques and it's very interesting for me to hear what other people do to, to stay focused and to manage some of the challenges that are working from home. So we will see everybody next time on the next episode of the Western Devs podcast. Thanks guys. Bye. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. Thanks.